kind of been shaping it as and reframing it as um, is this opportunity for God to go into this land where his people were being oppressed and, and to teach them who they were again, to reshape their identity. I'm sure some of you, if you've been here for every one of these Exodus sermons, are getting tired of me saying that, um, reshaping your identity. But it's kind of a big deal. Um, it, this was a huge thing for them. And it's a huge thing for us when we put on this mantle of Christ, when we put on this, um, th- this new creation, when we understand, understand ourselves no longer as who we were, according to the world, but who God longs for us to be. And so we find ourselves, uh, last week we talked about the Ten Commandments. We talked about um, how, how God gives them these rules. He's like, look, you've been in a land of complete oppression for so long that if I just let you free in the desert, it's going to go bad. Um, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you these commandments, these ten rules to live by. And when you do this, you're going to have freedom. When you begin to live under my rules and under my guidance and under my protection, this is when you will experience freedom in me. So he gives us these rules. And an interesting thing that Daryl pointed out to us, uh, it's not his thought, it's someone else's, but uh, he reminded us of it, that these 613-ish commandments you can file down into um, the 10. You can like It's like a file folder system. You can put every one of those commandments into one of the 10. And then you can take those 10 and put them into one of the two that we talked about last week um, that Jesus was so big on, love God, love others. So it's an important thing that God was trying to teach the Hebrew people is to love him and to love one another. So we're in uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. It says, do not pass along false reports. Do not cooperate with evil people by telling lies on the witness stand. Do not join a crowd that intends to do evil. When you're on the witness stand, do not be swayed in your testimony by the opinion of the majority. And do not slant your testimony in favor of a person just because that person is poor. If you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that is strayed away, take it back to its owner. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you struggling beneath a heavy load... Do not walk by. Instead, stop and offer help. Do not twist justice against people simply because they are poor. Keep far away from falsely charging anyone with evil. Never put an innocent or honest person to death. I will not allow anyone guilty of this to go free. Take no bribes, for a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe always hurts the cause of the person who is in the right. Do not oppress the foreigners living among you. You know what it is like to be a foreigner. Remember your own experience in the land of Egypt. Now, remember how we talked about uh, that the story of Exodus isn't just the story of, of the people of Israel, the Hebrews. It's, it's our story. It's our story. So we are to remember these things. This is why we do the Seder meal, to remember what it was like to be oppressed because we don't live there anymore. Because we live in freedom. But we need to remember these things. And God is commanding the people right there, remember your time in oppression and treat people the way that you wish you would have been treated. So there's a couple of things that, that stand out to me in this um, that I want to focus in on. The first part, the NLT that I just read says, don't give false reports. Um, another one, I think Eugene Peterson in the message says, do not gossip. Um, uses the, the gossip word about other people. Um, and and then further on down, it talks about um, seeing an onky, uh, an onky, a donkey. Uh, it's an ox, ox and donkey combination. It's an onky. Um, 
seeing a donkey of somebody you hate that's struggling. And, and what, is he, what does the scripture tell you to do? Go and help them. Now, I have a, a good friend. His name's John Traeger. He is my dad's age. Uh, he reminds me of John Wayne. He's like 6'4", 6'5", um, really big guy. Lived in El Paso most of the time that I've known him. He was a vice president for Levi's back in the day. And um, just one of those guys that you knew if you needed help, you could call him. And wherever you were in the world, he would be there um, as soon as he could. Um, now, John, uh, we used to go hunting with um, all of these families. And uh, we, they called themselves, there's five families I grew up with, they called themselves the Shooters. Uh, they belonged to uh, a hunting club. Instead of belonging to a, a golf-type place, they belonged to a place where they just put birds out for you that you could go shoot. We all learned to shoot out there. We all learned to drive out there um, in a car with no brakes. It was great. Um, it may explain some things uh, about my sister's driving. But So we all lived um, together. We grew up together. Um, and, and then John, when they lived in El Paso for so long, we used to go down there and go hunting in New Mexico. We'd go dove hunting over in New Mexico and drive over. And I remember this one time. I was thinking about it uh, this morning. Um, John is driving, uh, and I'm in the truck with John and my dad and a couple other guys, and uh, we're driving out of El Paso going into New Mexico and, and hunting. You can hunt pretty much anywhere in New Mexico on public land. It's great. Uh, and he sees this snake crossing the road. Just, it's a big, really big snake, like way on the other side of the road. He swerves over, boom, 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 hits the snake, hammers the brakes, throws it in reverse, backs over it, boom, 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 puts it back in drive, goes over it again, puts it in park, gets out of the car, all the while not saying a word, grabs his shotgun, walks over to the snake, goes, bam, bam. We're all going, he gets back in the car and he goes, I don't like snakes. Clearly, you have some issues with snakes. But I was thinking about this because of this donkey thing right here. And the tendency of, uh, of what we want to do, if we see someone that we do not like, someone that we hate, they use here, um, who's struggling, we go, that's great. Let me see if I can make him struggle more. How, how can I, either I'm just going to completely ignore them and keep walking, or I'm going to do something that's not going to help them out and maybe even hurt them a little bit. Our tendency is, is that Brian Adams? Eddie Money, thank you. Okay, that was awesome. Um, one of our uh, tendencies is to, that didn't help the person out right there. Uh, I just did that. I just stepped on his donkey. Um, so th- that's, the type, th- that's the type thing is, is we, we have this tendency, if it's someone that we don't like, to, to just go, oh, good, good, I'm glad they're suffering. And what God is saying here is, no, 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 no. If you see someone, who you hate for whatever reason, maybe they've, maybe it's an Egyptian. Go and help them. The, the rabbis in their discussions about this say that if you find yourself in a situation where someone you love um, is, is struggling over on one side and someone you detest is struggling on the other, help the person you detest first. And the reason they say this is to build your strength in loving other people. It's easy to help the people that you know and love. It's much, much harder to help the people that you don't. So what God is setting up here is is he's setting up this this understanding of loving others. Loving others. Loving others. It sounds so easy. And yet, how often do we talk against one another? 
How often does it, this, this goes back up into that first word, the first verse, do not gossip, do not spread false um, things, do not speak maliciously about someone else. There's a commercial out right now, I think it's, um, I don't know, IBM or something, and it says that there are 3.2 billion comments posted online every day. 3.2 billion that's a lot. That's a lot of people who think we all want to know what they have to say. You've been online. You've seen comments. How many of those are negative? How many of those are mean? I'm going to hit us close to home right now. How many of you felt a little bit happy that um, Kobe Bryant ruptured his Achilles tendon? Just for a moment, you went, yes. Just be honest. Okay, good. I know you did. Um, a couple of you, like some of you are just doing this. Yeah, I will admit. I didn't, you know, because when you, when you reach a professional athlete level like Kobe and I and you rupture your Achilles tendon, like I'm sending him a letter going, Kobe, I've been there, brother. Um, last summer, it's hard. It's a hard comeback, but you can do it, man. I'm older than you and I'm back to, never mind. Um, so, I mean, yes, we have this thought, this brief thought. Um, I, I remember uh, the... People used to really not like Carl Malone in this town. Um, <laughs> yep, still don't like him. Um, why? Because he clocked David Robinson with his elbow once, right? Remember that? He, he gets this rebound, clocks David, David goes down. Well, you know, if David put on some more weight, maybe he could take an elbow to the face. Just kidding. Um, that was a really hard hit. Um, uh, and, and this Carl Malone thing, and, and I actually kind of, I knew Carl Malone when I was a kid. He was my CYO basketball coach in Ruston, Louisiana, when he was at Louisiana Tech. And people talking bad about Carl Malone. In fact, there is a guy who um, plays guitar for us that used to say uh, that um, the, the devil's workers were Oprah Winfrey and Carl Malone. And I'm like, dude, Carl's my boy. He's nice. He was a great coach for us. Uh, and it's those things where you just attack those people. And sure, that was said in fun. And sure, uh, you know, the Kobe Bryant thing, I don't think the people who raised their hand really are happy that he's injured himself. I don't know, maybe we need to have a talk after the service, but it's this understand, it's this belief that we can, we're quick to condemn, we're quick to criticize, we're quick to step on someone else. And the reason we do this, I believe, is because it makes us feel better about who we are. Maybe not consciously, but the reason I think that we do this is because we want to feel better about ourselves even. Because if someone else is hurting and someone else is in a worse shape than we are, then maybe that makes us feel a little bit better. And so you see these scathing comments that come out about people. And, and usually it's people in the public eye, but Facebook, I, I'm not on Facebook. I haven't been for years. And the reason I'm not is because either it's people telling you how awesome they are or it's other people telling you how horrible someone else is. I don't need to be there. Why is it that we have this tendency to blast out at people? It's so much easier um, to write just a, a simple text message or email of anger and hatred than it is to actually sit down and write something thoughtful. That's why you don't see all those anger hate letters from back in the day, because people just didn't do it. It took too long, too much energy. It was much quicker just to send a text, I hate you. What God is trying to shape 
in the Hebrew people here and in us. He's trying to shape our understanding of how we see one another. One of the ways we can begin to love other people is by helping whomever, whenever. Is by going across the street and helping the people we, we like the least. It's by sharing our love with those people that we just can't stand to be around first. And then going to the people that we love. It's by, it's by building this muscle. We are uh, currently in the Faith Walking 201 process here at the church. A bunch of people are, are going through this. And one of the things that it's asking us to do every day is to have a tr- what they're calling a transformational conversation every day with someone. And this transformational conversation is um, basically taking this thing that's ruled your life in the past, what they call this vow, and, um, and, and, and trying to move beyond that into where God longs for you to be. And, and so how do you see that playing out in the future? And so talking to people about this. My vow, um, I've mentioned it in here uh, before a few, few months ago, um, was that my father would always tell my, my two siblings, my older siblings, when we would all get in fights, that it was always their fault, never my fault, because I was younger and I didn't know any better. Um, he would always say, you're older, you should know better to them. And what I, I discovered was that I took this on myself of, I'm younger, I don't know any better, even though he didn't really say it that way. I don't know any better. Huh. I didn't make a conscious attempt to live my life not knowing any better. But as I look back in moments of my life, that's how I lived. I lived my life going just far enough to succeed, but not pushing it to the next level. I lived my life um, just, just trying to do everything I could to get by, but not really just blow the doors off of things. And I think it has to do with that. And so I didn't push through in, in my relationships. I don't know how many times I've had um, thoughts to um, send someone an, an encouraging note. And I even composed the note in my mind. And they're beautifully written. But I never write them. I don't know how many times I've wanted to call someone and go, Hey, God really put you on my heart. And I've been praying for you today. And to reach out to them. But I don't. I don't know how many times I've, I've just gone so close to a relationship to take it to another level. And yet, I just pull back. Now you can say I'm lazy. Maybe. But it's also this other thing. So. And so what it is, is you have this transformational conversation about, okay, now where am I going to go if I put that vow behind me and move into the person God longs for me to be? Well, when I want to write a note to somebody, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a note. When I think about someone and I'm like, hey, you should call this guy. I'm going to call them. It sounds simple. Yet when you've been living for 30-something years one way, it's kind of hard to change. And you have to force yourself. And you have to build up those muscles that work against where you don't want to be any longer. It's like any athletic pursuit. If you've been sitting on the couch for so long, getting back up and working out again is going to be an issue. Um, I recently had an opportunity to meet with... uh, a professional football player, a couple of them, and we were out, uh, we were down south and hunting, and uh, he was eating all these double-stuffed Oreo cookies, like one after another, just like hammering them. Um, and at one point, he goes, hey, Mike, 
he called me Mike. Um, I don't really like when people call me Mike, but as I said, he was a professional football player. What are you going to do? Uh, he's like, if I grab for the cookies again, you have my permission to slap me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to slap you. Um, I'll pray for you, but I won't slap you. Uh, but this other guy who was there asked him, he goes, hey, you know, is it going to be hard your next workout since you've been just kind of living high on the hog these last couple of days? Because I'm sure you don't normally sit around your house eating double stuffed Oreo cookies. He's like, yeah, no, I, I don't. Um, and he had a whole box of milk duds, just ate a whole box of milk duds. Uh, and he's like, no, you know, a couple of days, first one back, you kind of feel it, but not really. Then you just get into it and everything. He goes, but a couple of months off, oh, that just, man, your body is screaming at you. It just kills you. And I went, I, I'm interested, what about a couple of years? Like five. How's, how's that going to, this is why I just don't do it. Um, and uh, so that's the thing. The longer you go, the harder it is. The longer you live your life not living by these things, love God, love others, the harder it is to move into them. If you're living your life and say, hey, Crocker, I love God. Oh, I love God so much. I read his word all the time. I come to worship. I pray. I, I'm in small groups. Great. Are you loving others? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Because Jesus didn't say that that was, you know, well, you know, love God with everything and then kind of. No, he said this is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. If somebody hits you on the cheek, what do you do? You turn them off for them the other cheek. If someone asks you for a little handout, what do you do? You give them your coat. If a Roman soldier, someone that you would have hated, Ask you to carry your pack for his pack for a mile. Don't do a mile. Carry it two miles. Build your muscles to love one another. Build your muscles to love one another. The reason why this faith walking thing is making us have a conversation, transformational conversation every single day, which gets really tiring, is because we have a tendency never to have them. And if we build that muscle up, it becomes easier and easier and easier to have them when the opportunities present themselves. If God is asking us to love one another, to love the people that we detest, the easiest way to move into that is to begin to actually love the people that we detest in tangible ways. Not just sitting back and going, oh, I pray for that person. But crossing the street. And helping them when they're suffering. Going into places that you would not normally go because those people live there. Whomever those people are. And expressing your love. The love that God has given you to give to one another. These commandments that God's given us to, to love him and love others. To, to not speak maliciously about one another. When we see someone struggling to help them. I guess the question is, how are we doing with this? Are we loving one another? Are we caught in a trap of speaking about each other behind our backs, either publicly online or just even in smaller groups? I got to tell you, um, one of the things that I struggle with is. I grew up in a family where um, sarcasm reigned. Um, and if you weren't being made fun of, it means that somebody's upset with you in the family. 
And so that's kind of my go-to, is to make fun of people. I have to realize that some people don't operate that way. Um, When you make fun of someone, sometimes it really hurts them. It really hurts them in ways that I can't even understand because maybe they grew grew up in a home where they were never told that they were loved. And they don't think so highly of themselves. And so here comes Pastor Crocker along, or anyone who believes in Jesus, and starts saying things that spark. There's this term called Lashon Hara. We've talked about it in here um, before. Lashon Hara is this um, evil tongue. It's this understanding by, um, by the Jews that uh, when you speak something against someone with this tongue, it's, it's only for the purpose of damaging that there is nothing more detestable to God than that. And the fact of the matter is, what, you may, what you're saying might even be true. You might be delivering a truth about this person to someone else. But if it's done for the purpose of damaging them, then the rabbis say, Whew, watch out. Because God detests that. I think it's going to take us um, working out. It's going to take us building some muscles to begin to love one another. Think of the person in your mind whom you like the least. Who is it that comes to mind? Do you think you could love them? Some of you might have had someone very personal come into your mind. Some of you, somebody that you've never met, but you know because of the world we live in. Do you think you're able to love that person? Do you think you're able to get behind this truth that God sent his son to die for them also? If you can get your mind around that, if you can get your head around the fact that God created them lovingly and beautifully in their mother's womb too, then beginning to love them will be much easier. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the love that you've given us. God, we thank you for the love that you gave us through your Son, Jesus, who came to live here on earth so that he might know our pain, he might know our temptations, our suffering. God, he... He came here so that he could die, so that we could have life. And it wasn't just for us, Lord, who come to church and worship you on a Sunday morning. It was for all anywhere who want to receive your love. So God, help us to understand that, to take that into our hearts and our minds, so that we begin to love others the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll ask our prayer team if you will move on to the back.